Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. We are going to be re-airing an important Christmas broadcast from a few years ago. Why? Well, it's more relevant today than when we initially aired it because today, nuclear powers are threatening each other, making this broadcast more important than when we first aired it. So I'm going to be sharing with you that fine balance that the nation Switzerland maintains between peaceful non-interventionism coupled with an extraordinary strong national defense. It's interesting that this Swiss program for peace was inspired by a former Swiss military man who later became a monk and a Catholic advisor to national leaders. Today, he is known as Saint Nicholas of Flu, the patron saint of Switzerland and of the Swiss Guard. So, as we go to the broadcast, Saint Nicholas of Flu, pray for the nations of our world and pray for our children and grandchildren growing up in an age with a rekindled nuclear threat. Today I have a special theme in store for you. I wanted to do a special broadcast for the Christmas season entitled Peace on Earth. You know, we remember from the Gospel of Luke and our many hymns, the angels singing, the shepherds uh, hearing glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The prophecies from the Old Testament, like Psalm 72, which says, In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound. And of course, the famous prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And then here comes the Messiah. He's not only born, but in his teaching, at the very core of his teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, as recorded in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In other words, one of the identifying marks of a follower of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, is being a peacemaker. And finally, St. Paul, in his epistle to the Romans, chapter 15 and verse 33, says, The God of peace be with you all, identifying God as the God of peace. Now, here is something that I can't quite figure out. But that committed conservative Christians, and I put myself in this category. I'm a committed conservative Christian, and our listeners today, both Protestant and Catholic, I will just 
group together here for a moment. We are all called to be peacemakers. As sons and daughters of God, that's our calling to be peacemakers. God identifies himself as a God of peace. And some of these key scriptures prophesying of the coming of Christ, the first Christmas, is that he will be the Prince of Peace. And yet, even though we're called to be peacemakers, and I'm talking about at this moment in the history of our country here in the United States, committed conservative Christians, both Protestants and Catholics, are frequently among those most in favor of involvement in foreign wars. It's just no secret. It's, it's um, political times roll around and politicians um, stir the crowds with the necessity to basically hammer this group or that group. And there's a, a great irony here in that, and again, if you happen to be far liberal way on the left, you're my friend too. It's just that I think there's something very unique and somewhat strange going on in conservative circles because conservatives are supposed to be those folks who are always against the growth of big government. And war always increases the size of government and government spending. Nothing grows the government in size faster than war. And to be against big government and for almost always various war efforts is almost warring against your own conservative principles. Now, I need to make a distinction here. Do we support our troops? And I guess there's people on various shades of things, but I'll just make it very simple. Yes and always. Okay? We do support our troops, but by supporting our troops, does that include supporting all foreign involvements, particularly undeclared wars. I dare say not always. Here's something that many people may not know. Ron Paul, when he was one of the political candidates, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree with Ron Paul's politics, but Ron Paul distinguished himself amongst other Republicans in being a non-interventionist. Um, Ron Paul served in the U.S. military. I believe he's an Air Force officer, but he is against uh, intervening in most of the foreign conflicts the United States has been in since World War II. And the New York Times reported said the following, this year, Paul has 10 times the individual donations from military, as does Mitt Romney, the front runner. And Paul has 100 times more than Newt Gingrich, who sat out the Vietnam War and now promises he would strike foes at the slightest provocation. So it's interesting that a non-interventionist has the strongest support from the U.S. military, an active military at that. So you can be very supportive of our troops, of the U.S. military, and yet not be supportive of a number of interventionist type of conflicts. Now, many Christians who strongly desire peace, I think they have a very good platform to, be, to stand on because of the scriptures that I just mentioned. Uh, some of the key ones, identifying Christ as the Prince of Peace, identifying Christians as sons and daughters of God as peacemakers, identifying God himself as the God of peace. 
And yet, those Christians who advocate peace, and you know, I am with them for that portion, often advocate peace in such a way as to recommend unilateral disarmament, basically dismantle our military, and some would even push as far as to confiscate privately owned guns and weapons in homes so that there's no actual right to use weapons in self-defense even in your home. So there's kind of like two camps that seems to have developed within our country. And I think perhaps many Christians who are in favor of the war party, so to speak, even though they're called to be peacemakers, do so because they see some of the other Christian solutions and recommendations for peace as so unrealistic in a still fallen world that it would simply not work. So if given the two choices, they would choose the one, the interventionist, the involvement in the various conflicts and kind of following that. But what I'd like to put forward today, and this is simply my Christmas gift for whoever has ears to hear, but that, you know, there might just be a third way to look at all this. And this isn't something that uh, started with me by any means, but it's something that I think has perhaps been eclipsed in contemporary America. So you're listening to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Steve Wood, and here it is, the third way, in two words. Armed neutrality. A radical neutrality coupled with extremely strong homeland defense. Do you see how this is the third way? <laughs> I probably am recommending something to make just about everybody listening upset because on the uh, kind of interventionist party, they would say, neutrality, you can't do that. And they would even argue to go as far as we need to fight preemptive wars to make sure people don't attack us. The only problem with that, at least for Catholics, is that the last two popes says that that is an unjust war. And my guess, if you ask the current pope if that's a just or an unjust war, he would say it's an unjust thing to fight a preemptive war. Then on the other hand, those who say we want neutrality, but we also want unilateral disarmament. And people would look at that and say, well, that would leave us naked and bare before some very hostile enemies in today's world. But if you had an armed neutrality, in other words, nations knew that you weren't trying to exploit their natural resources for a certain international corporation's benefits and that type of thing, that you really did want to, so to speak, keep your nose out of other people's conflicts, that you weren't one to pose a threat continually to other nations, well, then it would kind of take the stinger out of a lot of potential conflicts. But at the same time, you recognize it's a fallen world and you need strength in order to defend yourself. And armed neutrality kind of fits in between these two extremes as a third way. And what I'd like to give to you today is a real life example of this working, namely Switzerland during World War II. Now, I realize that what went on in Switzerland needs to be adapted to our needs here in the United States, and people with expertise much greater than mine will need to develop specific policies. 
and we may need an adjustment in defensive weapons and civil defense adapted to the nuclear age. But these are things that can be done. And in giving you this example from Switzerland, I'm pulling from a book that I don't think got very wide circulation, but it's entitled Target Switzerland by a Stephen Halbrook. And he basically presents the Swiss plan uh, over the ages and during World War II. Now, if you're like me, you probably imagine the Swiss to kind of be preoccupied with making fine chocolate, cheese, and precision watches, kind of generally a laid-back people. Well, that's not the case. There is only one small democracy in all of Europe that didn't fall to Nazi Germany, and that was Switzerland. Now, how did they do it? Generally, one-tenth of the entire Swiss population is under arms at all times. And basically, they have citizen soldiers, soldiers who have their weapons at home, ready for immediate call-up. And remember, Hitler was doing the blitzkrieg, the lightning attack. Well, if it can take literally weeks or even months to mobilize a country, Switzerland was ready in a moment because every soldier had the equipment he needed at home in literally minutes notice he could be on active duty. And in normal times, Switzerland has one-tenth of its population ready for duty. During World War II, they had call-ups and one out of every five Swiss were ready to go at a moment's notice. In addition, they had older men in an auxiliary coupled with teenagers and women serving various roles. And listen to this very carefully. Even though they had a radical neutrality in relation to other nations, the Swiss were ready to fight to the death for their homeland. It was broadcast over national media. It was picked up by international news. It even appeared in the New York Times that there was no one in Switzerland no single individual had the authority to surrender their nation to an invading army. No one had the authority to do it. Secondly, the corporate leadership put out the order that there is absolutely, under any circumstance, there isn't going to be any surrender whatsoever. They, every man is to fight to the death and if he ran out of bullets, he fights with his bayonet until he is killed. And every single person does that. And if ever there is broadcast an order to surrender, it's to be regarded as propaganda. Now, as again, I kind of thought the Swiss were these laid back cheese makers, and this isn't anything but laid back. They were known, the Swiss, for their courage and their ruthlessness against aggressors and yet their neutrality uh, towards their neighbors. In addition, and this is far different from uh, people today, and I dare say video games and media over the last 40 years has greatly changed human behavior, including the use of, of weapons. Uh, the Swiss have guns in most homes, military weapons, and instead of the government trying to take them away, the government requires you to keep them. And in addition, there are patriotic shooting clubs throughout Switzerland. And in fact, in the early part of the 20th century before World War II, 
there were over 3,000 rifle clubs throughout Switzerland. And they are taught to shoot very intelligently, only pull the trigger, don't waste your ammunition when a target is achievable. After you shoot once, you pause to observe, and then you shoot again. And these Swiss were excellent marksmen. They had camouflage sharpshooters up in the Alps, and anybody who dared to come across the Alps into their country, they could simply very carefully just pick off the troops one after another. German soldiers were trained to shoot at about 100 meters. German soldiers were trained to shoot at 100 meters, which is about either average or above average for the various European soldiers. But the Swiss were trained at a standard 300 meters. And in their shooting clubs on Sunday afternoons, the Swiss gave awards and it was a great national pastime as well as a patriotic duty to learn how to shoot accurately at distance. There was a postcard that depicted a uh, Swiss militiaman being asked by a German, well, what is a quarter of a million Swiss guard going to do if they're invaded by a half a million Germans? And his answer, shoot twice. These people were ready. They had all of their bridges mined, and many are still mined today, anti-aircraft batteries and barns and camouflage bunkers, and they were ready to go in the most radical way to defend their nation, and yet they posed no threat to anyone else. But if someone wanted to pick a fight, they were going to get one to the death. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Where in the world did the Swiss first get their ideals of neutrality amid the constantly warring nations of Europe? I mean, Europe is a history of warfare. Well, believe it or not, it came from a Catholic saint. In 1481, there was a Swiss confederation that adopted the advice of a Catholic monk named St. Nicholas of Flu, better known in Switzerland as Brother Claus. And he was a soldier, a family man. I believe he had as many as 10 children. And with the permission of his family, he became a monk and, according to reports, lived the last 19 years of his life on the Eucharist, was a very wise man. And in 1481, when the Swiss were ready to actually engage in a civil war, he proposed a very wise and just solution, other than fighting each other, for the Swiss to live in harmony. And they followed him, and the Swiss actually didn't tear themselves apart. And he condemned wars of aggression as immoral and the slaughter of noncombatants as immoral. And yet, he didn't say you had to be a pacifist uh, to do that. And so to this day, he is honored by Swiss Protestants, venerated by Swiss Catholics, and he was canonized in 1947 by Pope Pius XII. And that's where this seed uh, was basically given birth to in the land of Switzerland. Now, I'm holding the book here, Target Switzerland, and throughout the book, there are actually multiple war plans uh, that Hitler had to invade Switzerland. He wanted Switzerland, just like these other nations. And the other nations, even though they didn't have neutrality, uh, <laughs> they weren't prepared for war. Many of them surrendered without a fight or literally a few days fight. The various nations of Europe were Swiss. They were ready to go to the very, very last man. Uh, Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels called 
uh, Switzerland, this stinking little state. And Hitler himself said, quote, a state like Switzerland, which is nothing but a pimple on the face of Europe, cannot be allowed to continue, unquote. Yet the Nazi military intelligence knew better. Uh, they were well aware that the threat Switzerland posed to any invading force. The battle plans were never implemented because they were too costly to carry out. And you know, over even the history of this country, even though it might be kind of forgotten today, John Adams, the second president of the United States, when he wrote on the defense of the U.S. Constitution, he wrote very favorably of the Swiss example of well-armed neutrality. And of course, the Swiss have been admired that no single person can lead the nation into war and thus making it more difficult to go to war, having a policy of neutrality and yet strong self-defense. And the second president of our country admired them. Also, Patrick Henry, who was no pacifist, praised the 500-year history of Switzerland. Again, a, a country ready to defend itself, but not wasting itself on civil war or unnecessary wars with others. And even the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, some claim, bears Swiss influence. The Second Amendment, in case you haven't heard it lately, says a well-regulated militia. That's exactly what the Swiss have. Every citizen, uh, a, a male is who's capable of fighting within a certain age range, is in the militia. So the Second Amendment says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And the Swiss have the largest percentage of soldiers in the world compared to their population ready for immediate combat, and yet they don't get involved in war. Now, is this something we could think about? And particularly as Christians, I'm concerned that politicians can stir up a heated pot so quickly with calls for uh, intervention and bombing and drones and um, uh, you know going around the world, intervening in the affairs of so many nations. Uh, our U.S. military is not in favor of that by and large. Uh, yes, the high-ranking ones who have to go along with the politicians may say that. I'm talking about the officers and enlisted men and women of armed services, by and large, by a huge measure, are not in favor of that. I think they should be listened to. But more than that, I think we should listen to the Scripture. Um, Jesus came, and one of his titles is the Prince of Peace. And where his government increases, peace should increase not decrease. And where there are Christians who are called to be sons of God, they shouldn't be characterized by global intervention. Uh, they should be characterized by those who truly desire peace, have a very realistic view of the world, not an idealistic utopian picture, 
and have those types of defense that should anybody dare to attack us, uh, they will regret it deeply. So it's, it's not this unilateral disarmament, nor is it this constant warfare. It's a, a third way. And, you know, by God's grace, we have two oceans separating us from people who always want to wage war. We have friends to the north and friends to the south. During World War II and through the several centuries, Switzerland has literally been surrounded by warring nations, constantly warring nations, and yet they have been able to preserve peace at the same time, highly defending themselves. And so uh, this is just my Christmas gift to whoever might have ears to hear that you know, as Christians, we do still live in a fallen world. There's a lot of bad guys out there, but that doesn't mean we have to be engaged as a Christian people in constant warfare, that we can advocate peace realistically, we can defend ourselves from attack, and yet at the same time, we don't have to expend ourselves and see government grow to oversized proportions and borrow money from communist China in order to engage in military conflicts in the other side of the world while our own people are going without decent jobs and that type of thing. So again, you're listening to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Steve Wood, and what I'm advocating this Christmas is exceptional military defense coupled with peaceful neutrality. And it's something I'd ask you to think about this Christmas season, because it says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Psalm 72, in his days, may righteousness flourish and peace abound. And the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, and the epistle to Romans chapter 15, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And finally from Isaiah, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So I would, as a Christian people, and I'm speaking here to both Protestants and Catholics, we're going to have another political season before long. And I don't know why, but some of the strongest pro-family, pro-Christian, pro-life candidates are also pro-war. I would urge you, to call them out on it. I've given you the scriptures, Luke 2, Psalm 72, Isaiah 9, Matthew 5, Romans 15, and there's lots more. Call them out on it. Uh, We can be pro-neutrality, pro-strong defense for our nation. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.